Welcome to LiveTrader.com podcast. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal business text or investment advice, and be used to evaluate any investment or security, or be directed to any investors, potential investors, and LiveTrader fund. For more details, please see LiveTrader.com forward slash disclosures. Hello traders, welcome to the Wall Street Secrets podcast and to cover the extreme volatility in the markets and the recent outbreak of coronavirus, I'm creating this episode to discuss how we at Live Trader have been navigating through the turmoil. Now before we get started, we are sensitive to the fact that a lot of people have been adversely impacted by this outbreak and the market's downturn and um, you know purpose of sharing our insights and wisdom is not to gloat about large gains and we're also going to speak about a scenario for how we think the market could play over the coming weeks and months so when it comes to swing trading we're not married to any one idea we will quickly abandon our opinion when necessary or have a limited downside risk protection when it is not working in our favor now, please note that this is recorded on May 26, after the S&P closed at 29.55 and the Dow Jones closed at 24,465. So we've been seeing a big spike, especially for the past few weeks. And um, we are having this long holiday weekend with the Memorial Day holiday on Monday. And we're recording this now when the coronavirus began spreading through China back in January and we actually bought puts, put options to hedge the downside risk. Not because we have predicted the virus is going to cause a pandemic, but did we have any foresight to imagine that what's happening in China might spread globally to expose a much bigger problem the world is facing now. So they never really seen a bull market because if you could recall, the market has been going up every day, every single day. It's been giving returns like 10%, 50% or 100%. You know, people keep questioning me like, um, you know, my ETF is down 35%. What should I do right now? Now, I often say to them, do you ever think about when you're up 25%? So you don't do anything right now or you should go and do something then you know you know that's when i tell people you see what's happening in the united states um, it's very strange because when it was beginning to spread through china the market in the us and even in asia the market was continuing to push to all-time highs and i think the majority of people thought it was going to be much better contained and as i imagine you know, obviously it caught a lot of people swimming naked and I think that's partially a reason why everybody, everyone was super bullish until March. Uh, the period is so much shorter and we have been regularly uh, experiencing all-time highs just about 60 days ago and so much of trillions of dollars worth of stop losses have been triggered and people are discovering their long position is now worth 75% less or even 90% less. You see, when panic sets in, people are headed alongside with the wave of panic selling and traders are going to first sell those stocks at crazy prices, then followed by investors. I think, and I think recalling, you know, the day on March 25th, 2020 was the first time I think we saw the markets at yet another crossroads. It's going to diverge very soon. 
and um, we had and of course we, we have a very good run and I was talking about the S&P hitting 3000 you know a few weeks ago and it did and we are seeing a lot of buying activities last week that came in a little bit but by end of the week it's starting to fade so the question right now is um, is this a false breakout or is this a bull trap just to rewind the tape to about two months ago there's a lot of panic then um, if you're looking at some stocks have been so badly they're down like 2008 levels in anything we've never seen before now see in 2008 we had the subprime mortgage crisis where over leveraged banks like Bastons or Lehman Brothers and a syndicate of other two big to fail banks selling shitty banking products like CDOs made it clear that it was a financial meltdown so allow me to explain the way capitalism works not only in america but globally even in asia and my hope is that i can create an awareness in our community is that we're gonna start saving money for rainy days probably my guess is 75 percent of americans live paycheck to paycheck and we're caught in a black zone situations like this because we underestimated that things like this won't happen and it won't go as bad but the fear is that it's going to be that bad and in the markets if you're an investor uh, people are going to sell everything and stay in cash and that's what happened in 2008 now don't get me wrong there'll be good companies and stuff to buy eventually when the tide is over but i think that we are at the bottom now and this probably and this is probably not a vicious recovery we're seeing so I created this section specifically to allow you to understand what is leverage. Now, as uh, Archimedes probably did say that if you give me a lever that is long enough and place to stand, I could move the entire earth. You see, the world we live in today gives you leverage. It gives you the chance to exert far more power than you would be able to do on your own especially with um you know on wall street there's so many different types of financial instruments that give you that leverage but let me just explain you know in a very layman term so that you could understand what leverage means and why you know the coronavirus pandemic has exposed a lot of businesses um, because of this very thing called leverage so as leverage has been around for a really long time but leverage has been um, you know changing the culture just for a few hundred years ago and i think in times like this in particular it's worth understanding how leverage works and how we got here and what happens when it goes in the other direction back in the early days of our corporations when colonialists uh, want to put together ships to go on long periods during um, this one methods that will be taking you life savings and buy one ship to go on a journey if it works you do well if it doesn't you completely wipe out and but you know there's always an alternative to the alternative is to borrow money you see when you borrow money you have to pay it back with interest but all the winnings belong to you so the easiest way to get rich in today's you know capitalistic world for a very long time has been interesting if you consider even the real estate industry real estate prices are going up all the time there are banks waiting in line to loan money to investors who want to buy real estate typically if you could buy some real estate putting down about 20 percent of a piece of real estate that is for sale for let's say a million dollars now in other words you only need about two hundred thousand in cash 
the buy-in and the bank puts up $800,000. The bank is taking a small risk because the risk is that you pay them back and if you don't, they get a piece of the property which assuming today is worth a million dollars. So they feel pretty secure for what happens with the value of property that goes up let's say about 20% if the value of the property goes up just about 20% to about 1.2 million dollars you can pay back the bank $800,000 and you got to keep the rest you essentially have just doubled your money with a 20% increase in the value of that real estate that led to a 100% increase so in other words with your 200,000 worth of down payment you have essentially doubled your money with a 100% increase when you know the property value has just gone up by 20%. And the next topic I want to talk about is how businesses are getting leverage. Now, how much money you have, that is called leverage. And in Australia or the UK, they're calling it gearing because you can see the gears working, turning in the direction. So every time we have a chance to buy assets, they're known to be of that value and we think um, are going up in value leverage gearing gives us the change to multiply that which is a really productive way to think about this is that if you buy an asset for example you're surrounded by people who need to make pins for living and making pin making a pin turns out to be a skill craft and a typical pin maker could make about a pin in six minutes and let's do the math here, 10 pins in an hour. Thus, if you could buy a pin making machine, you could just buy a pin machine, you could make about a thousand pins in an hour. Now, if you make a thousand pins in an hour, you can pay back what it costs to buy that pin making machine. So you could go back to the bank again by using leverage and say what's using your $40,000 back and you're telling the banker, hey, I'm going to be able to pay you back because it's going to pay for itself. And the bank takes the risk on loaning you that money by grabbing a guaranteed by your house. And you can go buy that thousand pin making machine, which pays for itself in five days or so. So you can pay the bank back and the rest of the profits belong to you. The next point, let's talk about culture of over leverage. Now, we have a machine to produce productivity only because of this leverage transaction. It makes sense and it benefits all parties. But what happens when we start speculating what's actually caused the crash on Wall Street in 1929 and more recently, the coronavirus pandemic? In general, it is accepted that it happened when people were over leveraged. If you weren't sure that the stock market was going to go up with the day you could just take the stop you wanted to and use the money that you borrowed to buy more stuff on the flip side now when it turns around you have a problem paying off the debt and the bank calls in the debt now the bank has a problem and the problem they have as they can pay back the people they need to pay back because of the leverage goes into the opposite direction now let's examine how this has affected all of our culture and how the recent coronavirus pandemic just blew it wide open exposing vulnerable leverage businesses with small profit margin like airlines 
and the cruise industry. Like what Warren Buffett said, you only find out who is swimming naked when the tides go out. You see, since the last three decades, our obsession with leverage has created a culture of competition and the race of obtaining leverage. If you have competitors who start getting leverage, you start a few. So it spreads to every chain you have ever done business with and to every industry that you're aware of that. Now leverage works just the way for solo entrepreneur who want to make extra money and it becomes a cause of doing business. Imagine a community of two businesses. One of them has embraced leverage every chance to get. In some, they use those borrowings to become more competitive and your competitors are the ones who are slowing down step by step and has no credit, will start to discover they're losing market share because they're unable to compete with highly leveraged competitors that's growing and they have no choice but to grow because they have to pay off the people that borrow the money from. So the less leveraged competitor faces a choice now to become smaller or borrow more to match up with your competitor. And the next topic I'm going to talk about is six months of cash to six weeks of cash. So now we end up with companies that have six months worth of cash in a bank to six weeks or even six days because we ended up with today our institutions that are betting that tomorrow is going to be just like today, but more profitable and don't have the resilience to weather an interruption. And then it hits media companies. The media companies are the ones might be willing to say, because we published this magazine for 30 years, we're going to publish it for 50 more years and we don't have to worry about clickbaits. We don't have to worry about maximizing today's profits because we don't have to pay off investors and we don't have to please the stock markets. We are running something we are proud of and not running a machine that has to maximize returns every day. Well, if that company has a competitor and that competitor has to borrow money with leverage to grow and needs to grow in order to pay off the money they've borrowed, they would do a different sort of media. Now, media that maximizes attention or panic, a media that is focused on how much money we did make today and what shortcuts can we take in a way we treat our people because the next year doesn't matter if we cannot make it this week's work. And the next very important topic is why leverage is contagious. This is the number one reason leverage spreads. And it spreads because you have a competitor who is now leveraged. You feel the need to be leveraged. Sometimes the market demands that you act like a company that is leveraged and number to leverage works in both directions on the positive side. The gearing works beautifully when things are going up because more leverage make things go up just a little bit faster. But because the share and the winning, the person who collects it, the entrepreneur, the capitalist, or the person in the center who gets to keep the key prizes until it goes in the other direction. And when it goes in the other direction in the cascading effect, and that cascade effect we lost a little now, but we owe a lot more. And the bank or the person who gave you the leverage says, wait a minute, this is going the wrong direction. I'm withdrawing this debt and the companies and then companies struggle to get new debt 
and if you have ever seen a machine where the gears start going in the wrong direction, the thing to worry about is sometimes the teeth fall off. Sometimes things don't go as elegantly backwards as they go forward. And the next point I want to touch base is how the rich and the poor uses leverage. So what to do about all of this? The first thing is to see the leverage. And the second thing is for the powers that be and first the voices that influence the powers that be to speak up and slow things down because if we can slow things down the reverse it is possible for the wind to come back into our sails to mix the metaphors here and maybe just maybe we can make the gears go forward again after this lockdown is over and businesses re resume and you'll never be the same again because what I've outlined here but but going forward as individuals, we have the chance to load up on credit card debt as individuals by the chance to borrow, to buy a new car or to buy something else that goes down in value. Look, schools won't teach you about leverage, like what Robert Kiyosaki mentioned in his book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. The rich knows how to use leverage to increase their wealth and financial intelligence, while the poor is busy looking for ways to upgrade their lifestyles using leverage to buy things that go down in value. I guess to my next point, how do we think hard about leverage and how to use it in your favor? Now we need to think hard about whether we as humans want to be leveraged and people who engage with your culture and engage with corporations, we need to think about the fact that if it is in our choice to do business with people who is lowly leveraged or not. And that part of it means to buy local. Part of it means to engage with people you can look in the eye and that we can make a choice to head toward a culture and an economy that is further down the road in a week of the next quarter of that part of the tulip mania. And of course, Wall Street often believes that the purpose of culture is to enable capitalism when the opposite of that is true. And that being big often embraces a cycle of destruction because that is where the leverage pays off, turns the years in one direction and then switch to the next project. But we are not projects for people and this is our culture. What is possible to do is build for resilience. So in a world when there's great uncertainty, a lot of people have to unwind their positions because because this is the worst case scenario. People are going to be stuck big time and that's millions, billions or even trillions of passive money invested and investors are starting to realize they got to just unload it now. It could cause a second wave of meltdown. And also when I, when I say I kept buying, 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 um, especially a few weeks ago, it sounded boring. When I say my trading plan is novel and eventually a bottom is going to be formed, but that's not how the stock market is being treated right now. And I still have a view that it's time to start scaling in on longs and capitalize on the decade-long opportunity, And but this is just not the time. Now, maybe there'll be a better price and I don't want to be early in this market catching a falling knife. Because I mean, think about this, cash is king right now. If you look at tech companies like Microsoft, who have like 150 to $200 billion sitting with them, and they can be like the gods of the markets right now. When it comes to extreme downturn markets, 
It sure comes down to preparedness and what are you doing to prepare prior to the open each day and not have this and not have this preconceived notions that markets will act a certain way like it did before. So you have to remain flexible and nimble in environments like this because we have seen part of 2008 when easy money was available in the markets, but the market spent another nine months dropping to new lows. Remember, we have seen a drop that we have never seen since the Great Depression. And for example, the S&P opening down, opening down 6.35%, triggering the circuit breaker because and it haunted all of Wall Street and it was a liquidity problem in the markets. And even algorithms couldn't work during a circuit breaker. People are selling the investments really quickly when panic selling sets in. But on the flip side, you can buy a reversal, trading that snapback as shorts are restricted. Understand, if the markets drop with 10%, you can be sure conditions are going to be abnormal. And it's time for you to dial back on the risk. And that's another mindset which is, and this is very rare because you'll be telling yourself, this is a very rare opportunity right now. And it doesn't come around very often. And putting on risk is actually justified during periods like this. It doesn't mean you go stupid and do a calculated risk right. Is you see something when you like, you think you can surely make good money because in the markets, we're right as much as missing good trading opportunities. In a hugely depressed market like two months ago, I was up about 7,500% just on our put options. Cause you know, people were saying, my day is done today while listening to CNBC and Bloomberg reporters contemplating what has happened. And we finished the month about 600 times our money, which is very rare in my trading career. Now, when you're a professional trader, you're not worried about being down, come back when there's not a positive week. That's even harder when you try to emulate the same thing what others are doing. When it comes to an increasingly volatile market like this, you have to ask yourself more specifically, are you actually managing the risk are there any rules you're forcing upon yourself and at the same time you have to cut your losses or in our case buying insurance using options to mitigate the downside risk which is the important ingredient in trading professionally recalling this movie when i got hit pretty badly during the trump china trade war back in 2018 i thought the market has been acting so crazy and i haven't been and I haven't seen crazy panic gap down or the market flash crash into 2019. So when it's a rainy day with so much volatility right now, how do you determine where to focus your attention in situations that are unique? And then if a trade that is working in your favor, how do you add to your positions and more and believe in yourself that all the money that comes along just start working like clockwork when you can do things right and show how for me it's like if I'm positive because um, I'm doing things right and I'm in the flow on a negative day of the week because I've changed my mind. So it's good to know and not try to overanalyze because we don't know for certain what's going to happen in the next few weeks or months. Now, what you can control right now is your risk, how you skew the odds in your favor, your trading plan and getting into the flow. You see, there's so much uncertainty and Trump tweeting in press conferences, the number of cases 
that's ever increasing every single day. Would that be a second wave of mutated virus? Would that be another lockdown in San Francisco or New York? Because of what happened, I mean, if you just have to have risk control in place and if a trade is working in your favor, how do you move on and let the profits build up? So the next question I'm getting from my readers of Wall Street Secrets is, the question is, if you're down very well during this downturn, ultimately, if you can build up on a summarized notepad, what skills and abilities have enabled you to make a large game when it comes to a serious recent world trade? So I've always said that, honestly, experience is a big factor in this. It's about gaining, putting in that 10,000 hours of work, meaning live trades, not paper trades over the course of 10 years, and there's no shortcut to it. Like what Malcolm Gladwell mentioned in his book, most traders give up when faced with a string of losses. Like I mentioned in my last episode of Wall Street Secrets, the average attrition rate of a live account is just three months. With experience, you're going to see situations and you're going to behave like a professional trader, but at the same time, detach from the emotional side of it. I'm still communicating with other traders around me and I, I like to see what they're saying, what they don't like and sometimes it annoys you. Should you just talk to a trader that has a different viewpoint because there's always one side of the market when someone is buying, someone is selling and you know there's always someone on the other end with bigger capital waiting to just swoop in and you know eat your lunch any time of the day. So as I get older, I'm foregoing the need to be right all the time when it comes to trading the markets because I think ultimately waking up early, having a clear mind, a good night's sleep, taking care of my health, which is the number one priority now, and it's all interlinked to a decision you make as a trader. On the contrary, if I'm not sleeping well, eating junk food and not working out, I'm just like rotting away and even though if I'm making money from the markets, I don't know how you can enjoy this situation. So I love to win and that's the most important thing. I think that trading just like in our sports, you have to be in you have to be in top-notch shape mentally and physically because every decision counts. And the most important thing is that and if you love being in front of the markets, having skin in a game and you do it consistently playing that long game, one day you'll notice that you have, you have already built up so much of unconscious competence in a game of trading. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Wall Street Secrets and if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast, please subscribe to this to get future episodes. Consider the Live Trader Network more than 1,500 alumni, more than 15 countries around the world. Find out more at TradeOnWallStreet.com. Thanks for listening to the Live Trader Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating or comment on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Plus, you can get future updates for email and future shows, transcripts, video tutorials. Just visit our website at LiveTrader.com.